edition of the read option another solo edition of the read option coming to you here on a tuesday morning recording in beautiful sunny northern virginia here out on the east coast we have an excellent show lined up for you guys today like i said gonna be solo one last solo pod before drum roll please we are getting the band the whole band, Scotty, Vito, and myself, later on this week. We're going to record two pods uh, over the next, I guess, about week and a half before the NFL draft, where we are going to lay out everything you need to know heading into next week's NFL draft. And we are we're super excited. All of us are. I think the sports world, we're in a little bit of a lull right now. The NBA regular season has, frankly, been pretty terrible it just seems like every single night we have blowouts. You know, we've had several nights over the last few weeks where every single NBA game that was playing was a double-digit win or loss, depending on which side. It, it just hasn't been great, all right? The Masters and the March Madness, all of that was awesome. But we're starting to hit the dog days a little bit, which means we got to start getting creative. Now, luckily for us, uh, sports media is always up to something crazy, and there is an insane story that we're going to wrap up today's podcast with uh in involving lakers twitter and a little bit of catfishing maybe i'm gonna try i'm gonna run through there's a great breakdown on brobible.com i'm gonna run through their kind of step-by-step you know description of everything at the end of the pod today and we're gonna kind of work our work our way through it together because i still don't have a, a full grasp on what the hell was going on in that whole situation. So if you haven't heard about that, stay tuned and check that out at the end of the podcast today because it's pretty insane, the entire story. Uh, but other than that, there's been some other things kind of going on. We're going to get into a little bit of NFL talk, some of the, in my opinion, completely unfair criticisms of Trevor Lawrence based off of a Sports Illustrated article that came out uh, just, I think it was last week which just kind of really didn't make much sense at all. And he's been getting a lot of heat for it. And we'll get into all that, but I want to start off today's show. And, and for anyone who listens to the podcast, you know that I'm a Sixers fan, right? You know, I, I bleed Philly sports. It's, it's been ingrained in me since I was a very small child. It's a huge part of who I am and my, my whole identity as a sports fan. It's a massive reason Philly sports radio is a major reason why I do what I do for a living now. The Sixers lost last night. Now, granted, they were shorthanded, no Ben Simmons, no Tobias Harris, but they lost at the hands of Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. And, and when you hear Golden State, you think of Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and, of course, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. But this is not this is not the same Golden State team that we've been accustomed to seeing over the last decade. This is Steph Curry in the middle of one of the most incredible runs 10-11 game runs that I have ever seen, that the NBA has ever seen. The numbers he's putting up right now are absurd, and it continued last night. He dropped 49 in a win against the Sixers, including a game that was tied with just, I think it was three minutes left, two and a half minutes left, and Steph does what Steph Curry does, which is just drill three after three after three. And this run that he's been on, 
is absurd. He dropped 20 in the fourth quarter last night. He had another game of 10 plus three pointers made. This is one of the most insane statistical gaps that you'll ever hear. Steph Curry, career games with 10 plus three pointers made. He's at 21. You know who's next on that list? It's Clay Thompson, right? Splash Brothers. We know them. Clay Thompson's one of the greatest shooters I've ever seen in my life. One of the greatest shooters we've ever seen statistically. Clay Thompson only has five games, which is, again, incredible, right? It would put him in first place if Steph was around. But Steph has 21. And, uh, and look, there's been a lot of podcasts and a lot of radio shows that have gone down the we don't respect Steph Curry enough. We, we're taking him for granted. We don't appreciate how great of a player he's been. Steph Curry, and, and all that is true. Like I don't think we do a good enough job of it. He became a villain very quickly because of how good those Golden State teams were. But even when people were angry at Golden State, you still love Steph. How can, you, how can you watch that guy play basketball? The joy that exudes out of him when he is dribbling, hitting these step-back threes, the release. It's the, it's the prettiest and most lethal jump shot in the history of the NBA. We don't appreciate him enough. And so, I, but this isn't going to be a whole like, well, how, I mean, like we'll get into a little bit of that. But just this run that he's on right now, He's the first player in NBA history to score 30-plus points in 11 straight games at age 33 or older. Like, and, and that is a sign of what we can expect later on in his career, right? Steph's 33. He's been in the league a long time, and he's done nothing but win and score buckets and enjoy the game of basketball at a level that I don't know we see many superstars in the NBA do. Just last week, he passed Wilt Chamberlain for first all-time on the Warriors scoring list. In the month of April, Steph is averaging 39.9 points a game. He's averaging 40 points a game. And by the way, at the time of recording this, it's April 20th. Okay, so this isn't just like three games. This is an 11-game stretch. He's played 10 games in the month of April, and he's averaging nearly 40 points a game now I'm someone who historically I like to round up if you can so 39.9 might as well be 40 in my book he's shooting a staggering 49 percent from three during that stretch now three-point shooting is up across the board in the NBA just a few years ago the league average was 35 just in the last year it's jumped up to about 37 and a half percent is the league average from deep but what Steph's doing right now is so otherworldly. You know, we're, we're talking about a guy who is undersized, who came from a small school, son of a guy, you know, his dad, Del Curry, was a longtime NBA player. I think that's all well documented. But for what he did when he was at Davidson, and Scotty and I talked a little bit about this back when we were reminiscing on our favorite March of Madness memories. What Steph was doing at his size to be as dangerous of a player as he is, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it still is even 10 plus years into the league. It is still insane to me that this guy 
can just score from anywhere on the court whenever he wants. You know, he's made some insane trick shots. He had one the other night before the Sixers game. I think they were playing Boston. And he has Jason Tatum just draped all over him, draws the foul, and just throws this little hook shot shop up. Just throws this little hook shot up. And somehow it goes in. And, and what I would say, when I say hook shot, I'm not saying like, oh, he was five, 10 feet from the basket. He was straddling the three-point line. So we're talking about this guy who, despite being as small, undersized, not the most athletic, not the most explosive player in the league, he's still consistently the most dangerous guy. And what's incredible about this Golden State run right now is we haven't really seen this version of Steph. Even when Steph was first coming up, right, and it was the Mark Jackson Warriors, Steph had the emergence of a young Clay Thompson who was an elite shooter, and he had Draymond, but Steph wasn't fully Steph until 2015 when Steve Kerr was there. And the second Steve Kerr got there and something seemed to click and they just kind of let Steph loose, it was like, holy cow, look at this guy. But he still had Clay and he still had Draymond, who had become a, like one of the best defensive players in the league and was this awesome small ball center who could also bring the ball up for you and is an excellent passer and has all this high energy. And they were young and feisty. Like this team that Seth's playing on is nowhere near as talented as those teams. I mean, they had Harrison Barnes at the time. Like David Lee was still a good player. I mean, he played with Monte Ellis even when he was younger, who was a great scorer in his own right. This is the first time that we've seen Steph since winning an MVP not have a lot of talent around him. And for Golden State to win games right now, the only way that they can do it is off the back of Steph Curry. And so for him to just basically say, you know what, we're trying to get in the playoffs. We're trying to sneak into one, either the seven seed, most likely be a play-in tournament team. If we want to make the playoffs, I have to put the team on my back. No James Wiseman, he tore his right meniscus he's done for the year. No Clay Thompson, he hasn't played all year. You have Andrew Wiggins, which I guess moves the needle for you. You have an aging and about three quarters of the player that he once was in Draymond Green. You know, I, I've always liked Draymond. I know he's a very polarizing figure. I've always appreciated what he does, though I think he tends to make mistakes that will ultimately be a negative, a net negative for his team. I still think the positives outweigh the negatives, but with his declining athleticism and some of his health stuff, and he still can't shoot the three worth shit. I'd rather have Ben Simmons shooting an open three than Draymond Green. Just his jump shot is horrendous, especially when it's like his teammate has the prettiest and greatest jump shooter of all time in Steph Curry. There's nothing about Draymond in his current state that excites you offensively. So the only way that they can create offense is through Steph Curry. And they were playing one of the best defensive teams in the league. Now, again, there was no Tobias Harris and no Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons, being the elite defender that he is, in those closing minutes, Ben Simmons would have guarded Steph Curry. Like, they, they just would have said, okay, Steph, we're putting the best one-on-one defender in the entire NBA on you. So I do think that would have made a difference. But, I mean, we're talking about Danny Green. Joel Embiid was out chasing him towards the end of the game out in the perimeter, which was Honestly, as it was impressive to see Joel Embiid just out running around with a guy like Steph Curry and kind of holding his own. But George Hill is a great defender. He made his Sixers de- debut last night. He couldn't really hang with him. Matisse Thibel, you know, Thibel did a really good job on Steph, 
And and on top of that, too, remember who else plays for the Sixers is Seth Curry. And Steph has openly said, Doris Burke was saying this on the broadcast last night, one of the best guys to defend me is my brother because they grew up together. You know, they grew up together. And, you know, when, when we're trying to put all of this into context, it's really important that we listen to the voices of the people who are around Steph, right? It, it's really important to the people who see him day in and day out, you know, there are guys like Kavon Looney and Draymond and, and teammates that have been around Steph for years who they're blown away by all of this. But I think the opinion that would be the most fitting to hear, at least the one that will at least express how insane this is the most is Steve Kerr, who was Michael Jordan's teammate, right? So when you're talking about a guy who has seen it all, Steve Kerr, played with Michael Jordan. Steve Kerr also played with young Tim Duncan. Steve Kerr also worked in the front office of the Spurs and of the Phoenix Suns. All right, we're talking about a guy who has seen some of the greatest teams of the last 30 plus years, some of the greatest individual players of the last 30 plus years. And this was Steve Kerr after the game last night. He said, I don't know what else to say. You guys ask me every game what I think of Steph and his performance. Whatever I said last game, just use that tonight because it's the same thing after every game. It's just utter amazement at this guy's skill level, heart, mind, focus. It's just amazing to watch. Steph Curry will go down as one of the greatest players, maybe not ever, but in the top 20 to 30? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's got three championships. He had two of them with KD. One of them was without KD. And you can't you can't hold that against him because the guy was the first unanimous MVP in a league where people don't like to give out unanimous anything. And the scary part about all this, and I alluded to it earlier when I started kind of going down this, was that Steph's going to be able to do this for a long time. With the way the game's officiated, the lack of physicality, his ability to avoid contact, even when he goes into the lane. Steph's one of those guys that's really good at falling. I was having this conversation uh, with a guy named John Crispin who hosts channels for, he was a Penn State basketball player and he uh, got a chance to, he hosts stuff on our SiriusXM channels. And he made a joke with his wife about, you know, well, if we want our kids to be athletes, we need to make sure that like our playroom is fully padded. And so they have about two inch thick padding on the entire floor of their kid's playroom because he wants him, if he's going to fall, to be comfortable falling. And it's one of those subtle, super athletic things. It's something that kind of separates your, your good high school athletes from like your elite level and even your college level athletes. Being able to fall gracefully. Steph had a lot of injuries early on in his career. Remember, he had horrible ankles. He actually rolled one just the other night. And the fact that he has his body conditioned to a point where he can come back even after rolling his ankles, which again, were a major you know, fear points, why he had gotten that cheap, while well, Golden State had gotten him on a cheaper contract while they were out winning championships and he was out winning MVPs. He has gotten his body to a point where he can fall with ease without getting hurt his ankles aren't as much of a problem as we once thought even just five six years ago 
and the way that he shoots the ball will never go away. I mean, look at a guy like J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick's been in the league a long time. I believe he got drafted in 2005. As I, 2004 was his senior year at Duke. That's a 15, now it's going on 16-year career for J.J., and I don't think J.J.'s done yet. I still think he's got another year or two if he wants to play. If that's J.J., who is widely considered to be one of the best shooters that we have in the NBA. What does that mean for Steph? Now, will Steph inevitably want to leave Golden State? Maybe. Will he want to go home, play with LaMelo in Charlotte? That'd be a ton of fun. I'd love to see that. But I think no matter what direction Steph chooses to go, he's going to be able to continue to play. And he's going to be able to play at a high level because his jump shooting from all over the court, the way he can just space the floor, and think about it this way, right? Let's say Steph is like 39, all right? But he's still shooting 40% from three. And you're going to have kids who are in high school now, in middle school now, who will be playing in the NBA. They're going to know how good Steph is. And in the back of their mind, they're always going to know, we, we can't leave Steph Curry open. He's freaking Steph Curry. It's almost like when Michael Jordan came back and played with the Wizards. He still dropped 30. He still dropped 41 games. He still averaged like almost 25 points a game, even though he had been out of the league for a few years. And he, Michael Jordan was 40 years old playing for the Wizards. And there was always that thought in the back of your mind when he was playing, even though he wasn't Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls, was that he's still fucking Michael Jordan. We, we can't just ignore that. He is still Michael Jeffrey Jordan. We have, we have to make sure that we're taking care of that and that you it will always live in the back of your mind. So all of these guys who will have grown up in the Steph Curry era, modeled things after his game, loved him as a player or hated him. Either way, they're going to still feel the need. That's like, no matter what you do, you cannot leave that dude open from three because Steph will be 40 and still shooting 40% from three. And that is objectively terrifying when you think about what his career numbers are going to look like terrifying in like a good way, like, Holy shit. I can't believe this guy. Cause he's already the, you know, he's already passed all the records for, for, you know, all, well, he hasn't quite passed Ray Allen. He just passed Reggie Miller, but by the end of next season, he's going to have passed Red, uh, Ray Allen for all, all time threes. And he'll only be 34 years old. He could have another six years. I mean, Seth Curry coming off the bench, even for you, if he's your sixth man, if you need a clutch shot in the playoffs, you're going to want to get the ball to Steph Curry. You just are. Even if he's 38 years old, you're still going to – you still know that that's a better option. Because every NBA, every basketball player will tell you the last thing that leaves is the jump shot. And so if nothing else, even if Steph can't handle like he did once did, even if he can't drive the lane like he once did, he's still going to be able to pass. He's always been a pretty good – at least solid help defender. Like he knows where to be, even if he's not the greatest one-on-one guy, he knows how to play team defense. And yeah, eventually he will lose a step, but Steph's game isn't predicated on being the most athletic. Steph will be able to do a lot of this stuff for a long time. And whatever's going on right now, we need to appreciate it. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, he won't ever be like a better basketball player than Michael Jordan or LeBron. But I think he might actually be more influential to the story of the NBA than LeBron James. Maybe not Michael. But definitely, I, I think he definitely could be more influential to LeBron. Because think about how this is going to affect generations of players. You know, growing up, guys wanted to hit step back and cross over. You know, got, people wanted to hit those little step back mid-range jumpers at the top of the elbow to replicate Michael Jordan and that amazing buzzer beater against Cleveland. You know, that and, and the, the step back crossover against the Utah Jazz in 98. Yeah, those are the moments that are going to resonate with people and did resonate with people for a long time. And everybody wanted to do that. Everyone wanted to be like Mike, right? I want to be like Mike. Like there was literally a whole campaign about it. What Steph did, and the thing is too, is like there's a lot of people who think the same thing about LeBron, but 99.9% of people are not going to even come close to the amount of athleticism needed genetically to do the stuff Michael Jordan and LeBron James can do. Every single kid growing up watching Steph Curry at six foot one, six foot two, shooting these threes from God knows how far, they're all going to be able to look at him and say, I can do that too. And it's part of the reason now, as we've seen the modern iteration of basketball being so full of three points, three point shooting and analytics, the more we see of that, the more we're going to, you know, we can't attribute it to Steph, but Steph was a massive reason as to why the NBA became what it has become. And again, analytics have told us, you know, three is worth more than two. Shooting 40% from three is far more valuable than shooting 55% from two. That's just how the math works. And so between having an icon and a superstar like Steph Curry, in addition to these analytics, the game of basketball has changed forever. For better or for worse, I mean, we won't know, right? Like we're talking about 10, 15 years down the line and beyond. But Steph was the first guy, the small six foot two, barely weighs 200 pounds point guard who can just pull up from anywhere on the court. Same thing with Dame Lillard. You know, because NBA players and, and, and NBA fans, they're not all built. They're not James Harden. They're not Joel Embiid. They're not LeBron James. Like, those guys are genetic freaks. But you look at a guy like Steph or Dame, and you go, even though they're incredible and elite-level athletes, and they don't get enough credit for that stuff, but you see a smaller guy, and you think, oh, I can do that. I don't have to be six foot eight to be able to play in the NBA. I just have to get really, really good at shooting. And as more and more time progresses and, and the game eventually turns into just more and more three-pointers being taken, we're going to look back at Steph Curry and say, like, he was the guy. He was the turning point. When Steph Curry became Steph Curry, that was a major pivot point in what basketball turned into. And so while, yeah, he's probably – he's not the basketball player that LeBron is. I do think Steph might actually end up being more influential. And like everyone else is saying this week, 
it's important that we take a step back and we recognize just how absurd it is what he's doing right now. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. All right, I want to transition now into a small piece of the NFL draft. And we did something last week where we you know, kind of broke down some of the Trey Lance stuff and the narratives that have kind of been swirling around him and why I think he has the potential to be the best player and the best quarterback in this upcoming draft in which everyone is obsessed over the quarterbacks. And for good reason, there's likely five first round talents at least in this year's 2021 NFL draft. But I want to go from someone who I think is being underrated to the person who is assumed and rightly so assumed to be the first overall pick and a generational type of quarterback. And that's Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence did a one on one interview with Sports Illustrated. And he got a lot of heat for it when it came out. A lot of people started questioning whether or not Trevor Lawrence is the prospect and the player that we all think he can be. And more or less, the part of the interview that kind of started to go viral was this whole, I don't even know what I would necessarily call it, but more or less, he just said he doesn't have this massive chip on his shoulder, right? And the exact quote is, I have it here. It says, it's hard to explain because I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do. And it's really important to me, but I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me and that I'm trying to prove everybody wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. He also went on to mention that there's more in life than playing football. To which all of that I say, yeah, exactly. There is more to life than people playing football. And people heard that and lost their minds. And to be honest, I loved what he said. You know, he doesn't have to prove anybody wrong. He's good. He is that good. You get a chip on your shoulder when everyone's doubting you, when everyone's saying you can't do this. You're not talented enough. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not fast enough. That's when guys get that chip on their shoulder. Someone like Trevor Lawrence, who is supremely gifted, unbelievably naturally talented, a natural thrower of the football, runs like a freaking gazelle. He's an insane athlete, like not just a quarter. He's an insane athlete. In the semifinal against Ohio State two years ago, he was outrunning cornerbacks and safeties and some of the fastest players on the field. He went on a 70-yard touchdown run because he is that fast in addition to having a massive arm in addition to being a really perceptive quarterback he's got a brilliant football mind in addition to he's got everything he's got every tool you'd want and when people try to nitpick stuff from his games i know chris sims has a few different stuff it's some of his anticipation it's some of his mechanics he's a little longer with it he is six six he's on the taller side they're nitpicking They're finding the smallest little things that they can poke holes into his game because nobody's perfect. But that's part of the reason why he is the most highly touted draft prospect that we've had since Andrew Luck, because he is just that good. And he knows it, and that's okay. 
It's okay that he knows that he's elite. It's okay that he doesn't have this massive chip on his shoulder. Because why would he? Why does he need one? And so people then hear that and go, well, that must mean he doesn't love football. Well, that, that must mean that he's not, he's not good enough. You know, he, he clearly doesn't want to be a part of the game. That's bullshit. He said it right there. I'm passionate about what I do, and it's really important to me. To him, it's not, oh, I need to prove somebody wrong and prove that I'm great. To him is, I'm great. I know I'm great. You know I'm great. And this is the expectation. It's not, I need to prove somebody wrong. It's like, no, this is how it is. I'm great. I'm going to show you that I'm great. And so when his dad, and and people took stuff that his dad said, like he's not award-driven. You know, he's not a, I want to win a Super Bowl at all costs. Or, you know, his high school coach saying, uh, there is no doubt about it with who he is as a person. He could walk away from it tomorrow and be fine. That's a healthy mental and emotional place to be with something like football. Trevor Lawrence knows that it's not football 24-7. And we all like to think, especially like in the NFL, we all like to think that, well, these guys love the game, right? And there's a lot of people who think about like, that's why they love college is they just do it for the love of the game, not for these paychecks. It's like, no, there's a lot of guys who play college football who don't love college football, who aren't about college football 24-7. I knew a lot of them, even at the FCS level. I knew a lot of them who liked football. It helped them get an education, but it's not everything about them. It's not my identity is football and nothing else. No, Trevor Lawrence is a well-rounded person. He's very involved with his faith. He just got married. He loves to golf. He likes to do other stuff. He is a person. He's not just a football player. And it goes back to the stupid thing that we do with pro athletes where we just expect them to be robots or superheroes or modern day gladiators, however you want to phrase it. And we just expect them to go out there and beat the shit out of each other for nothing but our own entertainment. And that is an absolute ridiculous thing that we do as a society when it comes to, when it comes to sports. You know, it goes to the Laura Ingram, you know, stick to sports, shut up and dribble. You're an athlete. That's all you are. It's all you get to do. Fuck out of here. I am fuck out of there. They are. If they want to have other interests, if they feel comfortable being able to step away from football, if something were to happen, he had develops a heart condition. Someone like Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck was the exact same way. Andrew Luck could always walk away from football. And so I saw a lot of people this week saying like, was he going to be the next Andrew Luck? Andrew Luck's going to retire early. Yeah, well, do you remember how badly Andrew Luck got beat up? You remember how bad that dude's shoulder was where he was throwing Nerf footballs just to try to come back and play? Remember when Andrew Luck played with a lacerated kidney? All right, we're not we're not talking about a guy who just woke up one morning. He's like, all right, um, I'm going to stop playing. Fo-. That's my Andrew Luck voice. But, you know, he didn't just wake up one morning and go, all right, you know what? I'm going to I'm just going to stop playing. It's over. It's over, folks. No. He went through a lot physically, mentally, emotionally. And he realized that he was OK walking away from the game. And you know what? That was the right decision for Andrew Luck. And we all went, but how? How could you do this? You're one of the most talented guys in the world because we're all jealous. We all wish we could be that talented. We all wish we could look and throw the football like Trevor Lawrence. But guess what? We can't. 
So maybe we shouldn't project how we feel and our own insecurities and the fact that we didn't get to play high school football or be the quarterback in the high school football team or that we got cut from the basketball team. Maybe we shouldn't project our own failures when we were in high school and say, well, you should be thankful that you get to go and play in the NFL. Yeah. And he's extremely thankful, but he also understands that there's so much more to life. So why are we ripping this kid? Because honestly, when I, when I hear that, I don't think, oh, he doesn't love football. I think, oh, Trevor Lawrence has self-awareness. He knows what's going to make him happy in life. That's a great quality to have in a person. You know, we, we're so stuck in the old school model of football sometimes that emotionally nothing else should matter than football. And that's ridiculous. Was Is Malcolm Jenkins any less good of a football player because he started an NFL Players Coalition? to help fight for social justice reform? Of course not. Is LeBron James any less incredibly talented because he built a school for underprivileged kids in his hometown? No. So let's stop acting like a player being more than just an athlete is a negative thing against him. Because this is what modern athletes are. Modern athletes are going to be this way. They're going to have outside interests other than their sport. They're going to believe in change. Remember, Trevor Lawrence could have opted out of the football season last year and still been the number one overall pick unquestioned. And not only did he not do that, but he and Justin Fields were a major reason why we had college football at all last year. College football doesn't get played, especially in the Big Ten without Justin Fields, but college football doesn't get played without Trevor Lawrence. So you're telling me that guy who put his neck out on the line as an amateur athlete who literally had nothing to gain outside of wanting to win a championship and potentially win a Heisman. And even still, his dad says he's not an awards-driven guy. So the Heisman part of it probably even wasn't in, in, the, in the cards for him. He wanted to be back with his team. He wanted to be back with Dabo. He wanted to be back with Travis Etienne, and they wanted to go try to win a national championship. He had no reason to go back and play football unless he wanted to go back and play football. That, to me, screams like a guy who wants to play, who genuinely loves the game. All right, I remember watching the tape on him when he was in high school. He was the most brilliant high school quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was crazy what he was able to do on a high school football field and it's not like the all right we all know a kid who went on to play in college and was the quarterback and was just the best athlete on the field in high school and he's just running around scrambling and would make no he was playing the position of quarterback going through his progressions delivering strike after strike and putting up just stupid numbers someone that talented does not need a chip on their shoulder he knows how amazing he can be. It's his expectation. He has the self-awareness. And honestly, there's a part of that article that should have been highlighted that wasn't. And I want to, if you don't mind, I want to read. I don't know. You're listening. You don't really get a choice. Before Lawrence's senior year, King, who's his high school coach, brought the quarterback into his office and tried to pry something out of him. Goals, Trevor. You must have goals. 
name one goal. As King recalls, he wasn't staring me in the eye. There was probably a hair flip or a shoulder shrug when he said it. Lawrence casually told him, Coach, I just want to be the best that's ever done it. And they never spoke about it again. What else do you need? What else do you genuinely need to know that that kid, that young man, is a stud? His goals when he were, was in high school was not, I want to go to college. I want to win our high school championship. I want to make it to the NFL one day. It's, I want to be the best that's ever done it. And you know why he said that? Because he knows how gifted and talented he is. He knows that he has a legitimate opportunity to actually do that. Because when people say that, they say it as a pipe dream. When Trevor Lawrence says it, he knows it can be true. He absolutely knows it can be true. So again, Trevor Lawrence, he's a part of this new age of athletes. He understands that life is far greater than football. There's so much more to life than just being a football player. Andrew Luck was the same way, and it didn't affect him as a quarterback at all. The injuries are what affected Andrew Luck. And there could be injuries in Trevor Lawrence's future. There's no guarantee of that. But to say off of that article and those quotes that now all of a sudden, oh, I don't know about Trevor Lawrence, you're out of your goddamn mind. Absolutely out of your goddamn mind. Because I'm telling you now, like the only thing that's stopping Trevor Lawrence, it's not going to be himself, okay? All the stuff that comes down the line, whether Urban Meyer absolutely flatlines as a head coach. He could have injury troubles like – Andrew Luck. But the one thing I can guarantee you that it's not going to be is it's not going to be because of himself. It's not going to be because he's comfortable being able to walk away from the game when he wants to walk away. Patrick Willis was one of the greatest middle linebackers I've ever seen in my life. He walked away in the middle of his prime. Doesn't mean he was a bad football player means the exact opposite. And yeah, maybe Trevor Lawrence calls it quits after seven years in the NFL. Okay. That's fine. He, he can do that. But it's not necessarily saying that he doesn't love the game. Nothing about that says that. It just shows you that this guy has, in my opinion, the most important trait that any person can have, which is really, really good self-awareness. And if you're not excited and rooting for that kid after everything he's done, after what he did to get college football back, I, he's a slam dunk home run. He is. And no matter whether you think Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or any of them are more talented than him, you do not take anybody with a first overall pick that is not named Trevor Lawrence. All right, I want to wrap up the pod here with uh, just a couple of things, one small thing, and then we're going to dive into this bizarre and crazy Lakers catfish story, which will surely be entertaining. Uh, and again, we're going to kind of go through some of that together because I still don't fully know what the hell's going on. Um, but I thought it was noteworthy. Something came across the desk this morning. Mike Tomlin 
getting a three-year extension to stay as the head coach at Pittsburgh. And normally you see a coach get an extension, you know, it's not the biggest news in the world. And objectively it's not, but, you know, we talked about the underappreciation of Steph Curry for a while, right? Mike Tomlin and the job he's done in Pittsburgh, I don't, for some reason, People, I don't know if they like to shit on him. I don't know if it's some of the goofy sayings, you know, the standard is the standard and some of the bizarre little one-off quotes that he has or when he gets angry and his eyes look like they're popping out of his head. Like, for some reason, we don't fully appreciate how incredible of a head coach this guy is because anyone who plays for him says nothing but incredible things about him. You know, he's stern, but he's still a player's coach. He's great X's and O's wise. He's not the greatest of all time. And I think the other knock people had was when they won the Super Bowl in 07, which was his first year coaching the team. It was with Bill Cowher's team, you know, and, and Dick LeBeau was still there. So, you know, you can't quite, you know, can't quite give it to, to him. And, and a part of it also goes back to the fact that, look, he's a black head coach in the NFL and black head coaches oftentimes get more criticized and underappreciated than their white counterparts. Just looking at what Tomlin has accomplished as the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, it deserves recognition. All right. In 14 seasons, he's gone 153, 86 and one. 153, 86 and one. And has the highest winning percentage in Steelers history. Now, granted, he's only the third coach that Pittsburgh's ever had, which is crazy to think about. You know, I mean, in the last decade, the Eagles have had about six. The Jets have, you know, you can go across the league. How many have the have the Browns had in the last three years? I think the Browns have had three in the last three years, and yet the Steelers have done it for 75. Uh, the two head coaches that were his predecessors were Chuck Knoll, Hall of Famer, and Bill Cowher, Hall of Famer. <laughs> so he's got some pretty massive shoes to fill, and he's done nothing but fill them arguably better in a lot of ways. Now, again, he doesn't have the, he's only got the one Super Bowl, which same as Cowher. And when you're following up the five or four that the that Chuck Knoll had with the earlier Steelers in the 70s, you know, that's kind of a tough to match just like people are going to have a hard time matching what Belichick and Brady have done down the line. He's made the playoffs in nine out of 14 seasons, but at the end of the day, like he still just doesn't get the credit that he's deserved. I mean, think about what he's dealt with as far as the teams that he's had to play since 2007, right? We're talking about Peyton Manning and the Colts, right? And Andrew Luck and the Colts. Uh, obviously New England, Belichick and Brady having to deal with that juggernaut for the last, what, 20 years, 14 for Tomlin specifically, but that was right smack dab in the era of, you know, the greatness of Brady and Belichick. Uh, You have Peyton Manning with Denver and those fantastic Denver Broncos teams. Two of them went to the Super Bowl. You have the Baltimore Ravens. Won a Super Bowl in 2012. So we can go through this this long line of players and and this long line of coaches. And yet he's still done nothing but one. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's won 65% of his game's career as a head coach, taking his team to the playoffs nine out of 14 seasons. 
I'm not really sure how much we're supposed to ask out of Tomlin, except for can they take the next step again? Can they make the leap from consistently great team to Super Bowl winners? And in that division or in that conference, especially now that you got Mahomes and Lamar, I mean, it's a lot easier said than done. And I guess the question will be, you know, he signed three years. He signed out a contract till now 2024. This is going to be Big Ben's last season. So he's going to get three years. He's going to get at least three years to move on and see what the post-Ben Roethlisberger era looks like in Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's going to be Dwayne Haskins. I don't know if they have – I mean, I kind of think they're going to have a big fall-off this year. And Big Ben will go. Juju Smith-Schuster will likely go. And they're going to kind of be in rebuild mode. And so he'll get three years after this season, hopefully with a top draft pick next year, to start that rebuilding process. Lord knows they've been in cap hell just like the Eagles and just like the Saints were in throughout all free agency. So they were kind of limited in what they could do to improve the team immediately, which is also why I'm still kind of shocked as to why Big Ben came back in the first place. Probably for the paycheck, for being honest, but... It's going to be a really interesting stretch here for Pittsburgh. This is a team that has been successful. It's a team that started off 11-0 this year and yet had a first-round exit at the hands of the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. What this means and what their future looks like is up in the air. But I'll tell you this now. If you could give me five coaches, pick five coaches in the NFL right now that you'd want to lead your team through a rebuild, you'd be hard-pressed to find many names before you would get to Mike Tomlin. Okay, the moment you've been waiting for. We're here to wrap up the podcast and go through what is just an insane story. So I'm, I'm going to go through this step-by-step. Step. Again, shout out Bro Bible. Can't say I've ever been on their website before, but they have an excellent uh, rundown here of what this whole bizarre situation was. So basically, last night, Monday night, NBA Twitter was aflames about this weird mystery story behind a popular Lakers podcast host that allegedly went missing. And then it turned into, wait, actually, this woman, her name's Vivian, who, again, people follow, has about 16,000 followers on Twitter. Apparently, she uh, went missing. And she's a cancer patient going through treatment for leukemia. Um, but I think since, you know, I'm, I'm, I've alleged or I've alluded to some catfishing probability here, uh, you might not want to believe all of the stories when we come to the background on who this Vivian woman is. So basically on Sunday, there's this super, Laker super fan. His name is Josh Toussaint, who announced uh, that his podcast host, who he does the podcast with, Vivian Flores is her name, uh, currently battling leukemia, that she went missing in L.A., all right, and urged people to hope uh, to help try to find her. Uh, he even put it, he said, hey, Lakers family, uh, Vivian Flores is missing, 5'5", five, five, may or may not be wearing a mig, wig because she's going through leukemia treatment, uh, treatment from, Santa, uh, from Santa Monica. DM me if you have a lead. Love you all. Stay safe. Right. Send out some pictures of her. Um, so apparently 
this woman, Vivian, has been a part of the Lakers community for a long time. Uh, and again, has about 16,000 followers. And there were several like celebrities who retweeted this guy being like, oh my God, like uh, O'Shea Jackson, who is um, Ice Cube's son, you know, tweeted out like, are you serious? Like retweet this, anyone help? Like she's this wonderful soul. Like, please somebody go find her. And on top of it too, this guy, Josh got DMs from the Los Angeles Lakers. And they, the Lakers themselves offered up their head of security to reach out and help and said, and when he said, thank you, they say, absolutely. Vivian is a part of the family. All right. So this, this woman, Vivian is like ingrained, not just in fans, but like with the organization on some level. But what's bizarre is that apparently not a lot of people had ever actually like met her. Like there was some kind of rumblings. Like, has anyone actually met this person? That's kind of where it started to turn. Eventually it got tweeted out that they found Vivian and that she was safe and she had gotten home. Then, during a Twitter Spaces session that Kevin Durant was apparently in, there's a Twitter user named It's King's Bruh revealed that he had an online romantic relationship with Vivian, but had recently broken things off with her after he suspected that she was a catfish and that she went, quote-unquote, missing. So she disappeared after... This guy suspected her of catfishing. So before any of this became public, this guy was like, I think you're a catfish. And then she just went missing that night and never responded to him. Basically ghosted him after he said that. And then that same day on Sunday happened to go missing. Kevin Durant was in this Twitter spaces session and had some less than positive things to say. So this guy getting catfished on his side of it king's bruh it's getting catfished by a guy for two months and when he tried to cut her off she pretended to go missing and people started feeling and digging around and people have become very very confident that vivian is actually a guy not know not knowing who the guy is again this is all allegedly i have no fucking idea where like what is true in this it's just utterly fascinating so then people you know the the twitter detectives start going to work right and and the first thing that people go is like they look at the pictures of this woman vivian and they notice like pretty quick like holy shit this is some bad photoshop and when you look at the pictures that they have up it's pretty wild like straight up they they look like like there's one here that is just absolutely horrifically bad like it looks like the remember the jib jabs you know the videos when people would like post their you know the website would post their face on a weird animation like it looks like that the skin color doesn't match up at all uh it is really really bad and apparently she was also like an overseas hooper like that's her thing like she doesn't live in LA or she does live in LA but she also played basketball overseas um it, it's absolutely bizarre so eventually Vivian comes out. All right. So there's all this stuff. It starts blowing up on Twitter. And then eventually this woman, Vivian comes out and has a denial. All right. And she says, well, before I get into that, after people began discovering the photoshops and whatnot, 
they started accusing that guy, Josh, Josh Toussaint, of being behind the Vivian account, right? And basically making up this entire thing. And at a certain point, once he started getting kind of called out for this, then Vivian appeared, right? And so this is at 10 o'clock Eastern time last night, or it might be West Coast time, I'm not sure. Vivian says, y'all be on here hearing the side of the story of one guy and then automatically assume he is right about everything. I have people on here that can verify who I am. I don't need to prove anything to anyone. As far as me going missing, yes, it happened. I passed out from my treatment. Then she says, now let's talk about the people that assuming that at Josh Toussaint runs this account. Are y'all stupid to think a guy going to talk like a girl on a podcast? LMAO, come on now. So remember, this guy Josh and Vivian do a podcast together. So people have heard the voice of, quote-unquote, Vivian. So now she's using the defense of, like, what, you think this guy's talking like a girl? Like, is that really what you think? And she goes, I'm going to let y'all have fun tonight, get all the jokes y'all want off me. Uh, when shit drops, let me ha- let me, let's see who has the last laugh. Enjoy the game. So then... Josh comes out in denial, right? While all of this stuff with Vivian came out, Josh simultaneously was also now being quiet. And he says, after staying quiet for several hours, Josh spoke out and admitted admitted that he believed Vivian had deceived him when she refused to respond to his messages on Monday night. Which, again, makes no sense to me because he was the one, like, looking, going out to look for her. So now he's trying to play this whole, like, defense card, like, why were you not like being honest with me? Um, and so now there seems to be beef between the two podcast hosts. We still don't know if Vivian's a guy or not. We still don't know like what's going on there. St- he tweeted, still haven't gotten a goddamn explanation. Thought I trusted someone and learned my lesson and blah, blah, blah. Such garbage. Logging off for a while. Stay safe out there. Basically just saying I'm getting off of Twitter. Saying he had no part of it. Then videos started coming out that, this Vivian person was not a real person and that she had duped him. All right. And so then Josh shared some of his DMS with the Vivian account on the day that she went missing. And that he was then told that the DMS he was getting were actually from her sister. And this whole thing is just getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So then people are starting to wonder like, all right, well, what about the podcast? Cause I hear this voice, this female voice on the podcast. And he says, well, we've only ever done the podcasts, not through video calls, but just through audio calls using an app called Anchor. Basically, a recording with friends kind of function where you don't actually see the act, the person that you're doing with, which, again, feels really weird in this whole situation. And I have no idea what the hell is going on. So at this point, people start diving into like, audio investigation here where they took the audio with this high speaking woman and lowered the tone of it down to hear what it would sound like from a guy's voice and it sounded like a male australian meanwhile videos and there's another twitter user who comes out and says that the same woman with similar photos tried to catfish him 11 years ago when twitter first came out and I'm just like, at this point, this this whole thing has gotten so insanely out of hand. She used to go by the name of Kelly and was a member of Raiders Twitter back in 2018. More, just the more and more you get through this thing, 
the more you realize that there is something really fucked up and weird with this whole situation. And I don't know what to believe. This is, this is at its core, the most bizarre Twitter story I've seen in a long time. And like, People love the catfishing stuff. And to me, it always, like the TV show, it always made me just cringe and be like, oh, like these poor people, like it's so innocent. Like they didn't know any of this shit. And it so always broke my heart when they would have to, you know, and I was always like, good, like yell at them. Like, and most of these people are just heartbroken or they'd go run up and hug them. And I'd be like, what are you doing? That person just lied to your face over for years, you know, and, and At this point, man, I don't know what to believe. I hope someone's not as sick and twisted as to have literally started a podcast with another guy pretending to be a girl, using a fake voice, and then always lying to this person while amassing a a huge following on, on Twitter in regards to sports media and not just for any sport. Like we're talking about the Lakers talking about one of the biggest brands in all of sports. And one of their biggest super fans comes out to essentially be a giant catfish this whole time. And the fact that it took this long for people to realize it, or she is just the weirdest person ever and refuses to like, like, cause the thing is this whole situation can just be put to bed. If she just went on Instagram live or, or, whatever the Twitter live is just go on. Boom. Here's my face. Here's me talking. This is what I sound like. Boom. End of story. It's over. I am like still flabbergasted. I still don't understand all the details. Again, people are doing like audio forensics on this shit. And it sounds like a, like an Australian or New Zealand man trying to talk here. I, I don't know. I would just say for this, like, Audio engineers have gone into this and they they don't really know what to figure out. Some people think that it actually is a woman. Some people don't. All I know is until I see a video of this girl talking on a live stream, because with how much the face uh, editing softwares have gotten so ridiculous, you know, even like the guy who does the the deep fake of like Tom Cruise on, on TikTok and Instagram, like that shit trips me out. I need a live video of this broad talking about it otherwise i'm just i'm not buying it i'm just not absolutely not all right um that's all i got today weird funny short little podcast here i hope you guys enjoyed it and i hope you were able to follow honestly most of you probably aren't listening to this point and if you are god bless you please you know send a message on twitter you know message me do whatever you got i just need to know if anybody i need to know other people's thoughts on this story Because frankly, it blows my mind. And I don't know if you could have comprehended any of that, but it is just, it's bizarre, man. This is the world we live in now with social media. It's it's bizarre. Um, We got one more pod coming out this week. Very excited about it. The boys are back together. We'll be recorded either tonight or tomorrow, but it will drop on Thursday morning. And we're going to break down in these two podcasts. We're doing, again, one this week, one next next week. We're going to break down both sides of the ball. Some of our favorite players, you know, we did the mock draft before. We're not going to go through a full mock draft again, um, but we are going to tackle everything NFL draft here. Uh, Offense and quarterbacks and skill position, all those guys, that will be Monday. 
and the defensive side of the ball will be, or Thursday, I should say, and the defensive side of the ball will be next week, most likely Tuesday morning. So stay tuned for all of that. It's going to be a ton of fun. Very excited as we're finally getting back into a, like the last kind of thing to get us into the NBA playoffs. Because as soon as we have the draft, then boom, we're in NBA playoff season. And uh, as shitty as the NBA regular season has been, I do hold out a lot of hope that the NBA playoffs will be great. So I appreciate you all for uh, listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share it with a friend. I'm going to say at the end of every episode, share it with one person. And uh, we look forward to being back with you on later in the week on the read option. Take it easy, everybody.